have such a passion about bringing the wisdom of birth and the way that it can really open us up to bigger versions of ourselves and connect us deeper to ourselves and to our loved ones and our babies is just as much connected to sexuality. Like sex and birth are the same thing. You know, we don't conceive with one body and birth with a different body. It's all the same. I'm Alexa, and you're listening to That Sex Check, a Soulfire production. Lauren is a registered nurse, ecstatic birth practitioner, and sex and love coach with a deep passion for the sacredness of sexuality, childbirth, and somatic embodiment work. She stands for the liberation and affirmation of our wild sexual nature and sensual selves, where the body is loved and enjoyed in animalistic bliss and freed from all shame. Lauren believes through education and embodied awareness, humans can experience ecstatic, empowering, and healing experiences through their relationships, sex lives, and while giving birth. Enjoy the show. Okay, fam, I've been recording podcasts all day today and I have been patiently slash impatiently waiting to have this conversation because it happens to be the one that I am the least in the know of already. You know, so what I mean when I say that is I've had conversations with other people today that do very similar work that I already do. And so the conversation isn't new It's engaging to a degree. I feel very validated because they say things that I say and that feels good. But this conversation is one that I know, I wouldn't say nothing. I don't know. I don't know nothing about it, but I can't say that this is my area that I'm, you know, I'm not educating on this subject. It feels very new. It feels very edgy. And I do understand that not everyone in my audience is going to like really want to hear this particular conversation, but they also still might be very curious. So this is if you have birthed before, you might find this conversation interesting. If you are on the trying to conceive journey, or maybe if you're pregnant right now, like I am. So then this conversation would be even more interesting to you because we're going to talk about somatics embodiment, childbirth, sexuality, and the possibility of bringing pleasure into the birth process. So without further ado, Lauren, I am so excited and like a little bit nervous to have this conversation. Nervous in a sense of like, are you going to say some things that once I hear them, I'm going to know they're possible. And then it's up to me to get them. And that feels like, you know, like I got to take responsibility and all of that. So, so it feels big, um, but yay. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm so delighted to be here. I've been looking forward to this for a really long time. And I feel like yeah. it's happening at the perfect, the perfect time. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Um, especially now that I'm, I'm feeling a little bit better. <laughs> Um, So you're catching me now recording at 16 weeks pregnant. And if you would have caught me even just two weeks ago, my conversations were a little green. Like when I say I was a little, I I wasn't like super nauseous, but I did have to do all of my recording with a snack next to 
you know, the computer and next to my microphone. So I'd have like, like, you know, like a protein snack and like a little carby snack. And every now and then I'd mute myself and I'd have to eat something. And I would tell my guests before I would hit record, I'm like, Hey, by the way, if you see me snacking, it's not because I'm bored of our conversation. It's because I just really don't want to be nauseous. Um, but I'm through that phase now and I'm a little less Yay. aggressively hungry. Um, and now more just dealing with like body shifting and stretching and, you know, like I'm starting to experience the round ligament tension in my hips. And so we're just, we out here every, every phase, every little trimester, little cycle season, bringing new, um, new things to explore. So glad we're doing this now when I'm definitely, um, a little bit on the up as far as my energy goes. Beautiful. Yeah, me too. Me too. So I would love before I start asking my, <laughs> asking all the questions that I actually want to know the answers to. And I'm not sure if anybody, any, any of my listeners are like, yeah, I want to know that, that answer. So everyone, this podcast is all for me. How about that? I'm just going to be like fully, I'm going to fully own it. It's yes. completely and totally self-indulgent and I'm taking you all for the ride. Lauren, will you tell our listeners a little bit about your journey, a little bit about your story and how this particular subject matter has become so important to you. Oof. Yeah. I would love to. My, my journey with birth began when I was like four or five years old. I was one of those strange little children that was just so enthralled and obsessed with the process of birth. I would run home from the bus stop in like third, fourth grade and try and catch a baby story to see like the delivery. I knew more about epidurals, contractions, dilatation, ways of delivering before I knew like basic mathematics. Like I was so about that life. And I I remember as a little child maybe five or six years old, you know, the, the VHS stores, you'd go to like rent, rent the tape. And there was this one called the miracle of life. And there was a picture of a baby in utero on the cover. And it's quite explicit. Like there's a full on vaginal delivery at the end. And my mom let me rent it. I was like, that's, that's what I want. I don't know why I want it. I want it. And I would watch the delivery. I would rewind it and rewatch, rewind it and rewatch. I was just like, full-on obsessed. I'd make my Barbies have babies, my best friend Megan in (laughs) kindergarten. I'd pretend I was delivering her baby. Like it was something about the rapture, the empowerment. I almost felt this, you know, these lightning bolts in the bottom of my belly when I would see women in this rapture. And at the time I didn't know it as desire or as arousal, but now I do. And it really is as you were speaking before, when you were like, I don't know, about this topic. Like, I don't know much. I wanted so badly to come in and be like, yes, you do girl. Like, yeah. you do like this, this idea that, that sex is separate from birth is such a fallacy. And it's really like, I have such a passion about bringing the wisdom of birth and the way that it can really open us up to bigger versions of ourselves and connect us deeper to ourselves and to our, our loved ones and our babies is just as much connected to sexuality. Like sex and birth are the same thing. You know, we don't conceive with one body and birth with a different body. It's all the same. And so I think because there is so much shame around sexuality, as you know, like that infiltrates into the birth world so clearly. And until you, and like once you see it, you can't unsee it. Mm-hmm. So I went to nursing school. I wanted to be a midwife. I ended up getting indoctrinated into the system. And I kind of saw behind the scenes of how obstetrics works in our country. And it really left me 
bombed. It really left me bombed. I was super naive going into it. And once I was in the system, it was like all they did was instill fear. It's like fear, fear, fear. How can we use this this new nurse and kind of mold her into our fear-driven machine? I can remember my first day of orientation, I was expressing to a fellow nurse about how when I have children, I want to have a home birth. And I really have a desire to see myself in this this way of of using this time as a way of, of reclaiming my power. And I can remember there was a resident not too far in the space. And she like whipped her head around so quick and was like, are you crazy? Are you crazy? Just like shame, 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 fear, fear, fear. So as I realized this, I was like, okay, maybe I'll go into travel nursing and see how it's done across the country and kind of get different tastes of how different hospitals do things. And they do do things differently. But as a whole, the system is very much, this is how it's done. This is how it's always been done. And we're going to continue doing it because if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But the thing is, it is broken. It's really broken. And I found that, yeah, as a nurse at the bedside, I could only really be and hold the tone to a certain extent for my patients. Mm-hmm. It was like, there's so much work that has to be done before. And, and if, if they're not ready and they walk into this experience completely uneducated and not realizing that they're literally walking into a lion's den, As the nurse, when I'm only going to be with them for 12 or so hours, I can only have so much effect and so much, so much help. So I was like, okay, I need to transition. Like I can't be in this system anymore. Not only was it hurting me to witness these processes, but also my own body. I was like rejecting going to work. I was like, this is really painful. And so I was in one of those spaces as we do when we're in our dark nights of the soul. And I'm like, spirit, what the fuck? Like, what do I do? I sat down for meditation and I saw this word ecstatic birth so freaking clearly. It like neon signed me. And I was like, wow, that sounds really juicy and amazing, but what the hell is that? And so I Googled ecstatic birth. And the first thing that came up was Sheila Kamara Hayes program, um, ecstatic birth practitioner training. And I was like, full body fuck yes. I was like, yes, this is it. Because not only was I super connected to birth growing up as a child, but I, my sexuality was always very alive. And I started masturbating really young. And I was, I was the girl at the lunch table, you know, educating her girlfriends about like, oh, you know, if you touch this part of your body, it feels really good. And you can have these orgasms and all these things in like sixth, seventh grade. So that was always a huge foundation piece um, for me. And so now I'm, I'm in this space of, yeah, birth was sort of the entryway and what I enjoy doing. And also it led me to this like sexuality piece and being a sex coach and intimacy coach and even deeper, this way of being embodied. How can we fully be in our bodies and really learn to love the full spectrum gradient experience of what it means to have this human body? Because pain and pleasure are two sides of the same coin, as you know, mm-hmm. I'm sure. And so it's like, how can we really fully lean into and melt into the pain per se, so we can experience the full experience of pleasure? Um, Yeah. And I'm really, I'm most recently getting into like feelings work and being able to be in this place of being able to fully hold our full range of emotions and feelings. And that too is, is somehow finding its way into my birth work because everything, Mm -hmm. life is birth, birth is life. Like you can't get away from it. Amazing. So what does your birth work look like? You know, what, 
is it that you are able to do for people? And I'm also curious how the transition happened. So you did this program and then come out the other side and then it's, you know, then what, you know, and I, and I imagine that for a lot of people, you having both ends of the spectrum, having the registered nurse background and studies under your belt all the way to something that seems a little bit more um, ethereal in nature and spiritual in nature, where it's like, okay, well, she can get down. She knows how to do this and she knows how to do that, then I'm more likely to, you know, it's, it's, those are, those are things that definitely speak to someone like myself that has grown up with a lot of science background and putting so much value on understanding what's happening biologically, scientifically, physiologically, you know, I, and, and my background was that I studied biology with a concentration in forensics, but I originally wanted to go into forensic biology and then I was going to wind up being having to show up in court. And it was just like a very rigid masculine system that I then right at the last minute opted out of and thought I was going to go more to just use my studies in the medical field. And then I was just going to pursue that path, go down the route of physician's assistance, et cetera. And then I didn't, I went and completely 180 everything that I was doing as Um, we do. (laughs) Right. Right. And then I went into art and so I not creating it, but selling it and educating it on, on it and all of that. And so it was complete change, but then have eventually come back to, I still really love learning about this, talking about this, teaching about this, the human body and how it functions and how it operates and also the human psyche and why we do fucked up things and why we do amazing things and, and all of that. And so then eventually what, what came out of that is what we have now, which is all about sex, love relationships. And, and I wind up scratching lots of itches being in this world. But one of the things that I love is the opportunity to be both, both and you know, to have that, like, I love the science and I love the education. And then also there's some things that I, that are just inexplicable. There's some things that are completely and totally feeling based. There's some things that no matter, you know, I might try to describe it. And then this person from this culture and this person from this culture, while there might be a through line, we're saying we're using completely different language. You know what I mean? And so I definitely, in your work, it looks like there's a nice, that nice through line. It looks like there is that holistic kind of approach where you can play in in both of the realms, so to speak. And I imagine that a lot of people trust you. Uh, if I had to guess, like trust you for your ability to hold that range. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for seeing that in me. Thank you for sharing. I, I too have an art background as well. So it's interesting how we're like the art and science, but that's beautiful, right? And that's what we need is the willingness to say yes to the logical, to say yes to the ethereal and the mystical, like bringing, being the bridge and like bringing that together really does create a sense of safety. It's true. Yeah. So I guess the thing for me is like coming back to this place of, you said it before, I think this sense of taking on responsibility and how there's like fear around that. And really it is a radical responsibility. Like as a woman, as someone who is a vessel to bring through a human onto this planet, we have a responsibility, even if you're not even going to have children, like you, there's a responsibility in really being the oracle, being the goddess, like being the one that is so super in tune to the womb and natural rhythms and the cycles of the planet. My work goes so much deeper than just pregnancy. So really, ideally, I like to start working with people before they even conceive 
And we're really getting her in tune to her maybe menstrual cycle that she hasn't really been noticing up until it was the point of trying to conceive where it's like, oh, I didn't realize that I had all these different ways of existing and and living and how maybe my relationship changes throughout those months until I'm trying to get pregnant. So it's really bringing us back, bringing women back to their innate wisdom of this rhythm, this deep primal rhythm that has so much fucking power and magic in it. And if we can surrender to it, like be in the peaks and be in the valleys, like fully, like fully. And that right there is birth wisdom. So sometimes I'm like, I sometimes make the correlation of like, okay, well, what is your relationship with your bleed? And if someone's saying like, oh, I love my follicular phase, I'm like, that's my favorite part. But my luteal, she can go jump off a bridge. Like, I, I can't stand that part of myself. I really hate that part. It's like, okay, well, that's that's a big little flag right there. It's like, okay, look at that. What about slowing down brings up fear? What about going internal makes you feel crunchy and uncomfortable? Because throughout the antenatal experience, you're going to have Yes, peaks of energy, you're going to be in your yang, but then you're also needing to be in your yin, necessary. So there's these plateaus, there's these spaces of nothingness, these spaces of just like, yeah, pure nothingness where you really have to sit and all your shit comes up as you know when you slow down. It's very much equated to this, like, um, I really work with psychedelics as well. And I, I really, truly see a bridge that psychedelics have in the birth space, not only in preparation, but also in healing and postpartum and integration using, you know, psilocybin, for example, to help level out your serotonin levels, which help your estrogen levels, which can help bonding with the baby, like all these beautiful ways that we're, we're so deeply connected and we have, we have been stripped of this communal way of birthing, right? Like old ways of birthing, there were women just supporting women. You had three, four generations of women really holding you and treating you as the newborn baby as you deliver this child. And then you're supported. In today's culture, we're so isolated. We're so hyper-independent. We don't have that nice net of safety where we can really relax into it. And it's instead falling on, in most people, these, you know, dyads, these nuclear family dynamics where it's like, no wonder why your relationship feels like shit right now, because you two weren't the only ones that were meant to be holding this grand experience and the integration of it too. So it's really in the slowing down, really getting attuned to your body, opening up your level of sensations and your ability to be with the sensations of the body and to not resist because contractions essentially, right? If we're, if we're resisting it, that's going to make the pain go up. It increases our cortisol, our adrenaline, and fear is a direct antagonist to the natural cascade of birth hormones that we want to allow to bring through our body. So the more we can stay out of fear and, or be with the fear, I should say, and be in our place where we don't have to be hyper vigilant and we can be in immense safety and safety safety meaning not only in our minds we're safe but that our body feels safe our animal body feels safe because a lot of women go into the hospital for example and they're like oh well the NICU's right there i have providers if anything goes wrong like they can get the baby out one two three our minds might be rationalizing that that's safe but our animal body is on super high alert it's like okay these sounds these smells, these strange people coming into my room, like, am I going to be protected in this experience? That's what your body's saying. 
So it's really taking a, a step back and kind of coming back to the body. That's really the, the foundation, the foundation of it all. So in my work with my one-to-ones, it's very much, yeah, widening the capacity to hold sensation, getting tuned with your pleasure, maybe doing some self-exploration, releasing, doing some dearmoring work, breath, sound, movement. You wouldn't be surprised how many women are so afraid of their own sound, their own sound and the way these primal movements of breathing and sounding is literally how our body heals itself. And they are such perfect tools for birth. Pleasure is a tool for birth that no one's really talking about besides, you know, Deborah Prescali, who, who's the writer of Orgasmic Birth and my teacher, Sheila Kamara. Hey, like these are edge workers. These are women on the edge that have gotten, you know, shit on for years because they were called crazy. And what do you mean? And I get that because there is a lot of pain around birth. And if you're a woman who went through a really traumatic birth experience and you're coming out on the other side, like, what the hell did I do wrong? Why didn't I get to experience this thing? And then you hear someone talking about an orgasmic, amazing birth they had, I'd be pissed too. That would bring up a lot of anger within me too. So it's really, um, this is a really big topic. And I, I really feel this birth evolution happening. I think ever since COVID too, it sort of like woke a lot of people up to mm. the corruption and the things that we're holding on to. But yeah, I, I sort of went on a tangent there, but it, there's just so, there's so much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there is, that's true. There is so much, there's so much to it. Have you ever been too much in your head during sex? Like racing thoughts that keep you in your head and out of your body and out of your pleasure? Is one of the things that goes through your mind maybe laundry? <laughs> like, is this sex worth messing up the bed or having to strip the sheets and or comforter off to put in the wash afterwards? Well, my friend, I've got just the thing to remedy this conundrum if that's you. It's called a splash blanket, and it's one of my favorite additions to our sexy toy box. Before playtime, we just lay out our splash blanket and we do our thing without worrying if lube or anything else is getting on my fresh bedclothes underneath. It allows for me to relax and for my husband not to worry if I'm worrying about having to do laundry or scrubbing some sort of fluid off the comforter after we finish. We even travel with our smaller blankets because to us, they represent play, sexiness, and fun. And they keep questionable things off the beds in the Airbnbs we rent. And that's worthy of a five-star review, if you ask me. If this sounds like just the thing to add to your collection, you can visit my favorite place to shop for all sexual wellness products, Yoni Pleasure Palace. Bonus, you can use the code THATSEXCHICK, all one word, for 15% off your order. And while you're there, why not check out the crystalline glass wands, natural lubricants, and body-safe silicone toys? There's always something new to explore at yonipleasurepalace.com. So couple of questions that are not even on my little list here, but I do want to paint a bit of a picture for the audience, kind of going back to you being a young nurse and then having someone whip their head around and like, excuse me, to your decisions and your choices and you deciding what is what you are being called to do and pulled mm. to do and basically being projected on by someone else's fear. Um, so just for for the audience, you know, everyone has their own level of comfort and needs to make the decision that is best and right and good and true for them. And it's going to be different for everyone um, for different reasons. And some of the reasons might sound similar, like you hear the same kind of version of a set of reasons for going the home birth route, for going the medical hospital route, 
medicated, unmedicated, et cetera. Um, we are going with a birthing center um, for our first go rounds and for a handful of reasons. And I actually had my first experience, I would say lightly of mom shaming mm. by discussing this in a group of very crunchy moms and wow. saying that I was going this route, but I didn't give all my reasons. I was actually just responding to someone else who was asking, does the birthing center, does insurance cover it? And so I just responded to that because I had just gone through the process, but I, I went from um, having my initial prenatal appointment with the home birth team, which was what I was originally thinking that we were going to do. And then over me about a month or so, uh, my husband and I then went, you know, like, let's go tour the birthing center and let's just see what's available there and see how they operate and all of these things. And insurance covers a portion of it when it covers none of the home birth, but it still winds up being about the same out of pocket to us. But anyway, some of our reasons that I didn't get to say, because I was answering an insurance question were that we have to move two weeks before my due date. So home has a big question mark on it. So, you know, our, our lease is up at the end of November, babies due the first or second week of December. So if I've got a four week window of like when that's possibly going to happen, you know, ideally we want to move before baby comes, that would be like the best case. But if that's the case, it's going to be in my like final hour of pregnancy. You know what I mean? And so that was one of the main drivers is that where home is, is bringing some tension and some um, unsettling, the feeling, these feelings of being unsettled when I just want to know where to go. You know, I want to know where my spot is and my place and my people are and all the things. And so that was probably, I would say like the, the leading driver is that it's kind of hard for me to, to really settle into home birth when I'm not sure where home's going to be and if it's actually going to feel like home and if it's actually going to be ready for me to settle into. And so that's one of the things. And then some of the other things are, you know, I wanted to meet myself where I was as far as having my first pregnancy and first birth. And we miscarried last year. And so I have a level of anxiety that's present that might, if that pregnancy would have gone all the way through and would have ended in baby, I think that there's a decent amount of anxiety that wouldn't be present for me, like wouldn't have been present for me then because it was like, oh, well, we try and we get pregnant and now we have baby. But because I saw and felt something could go wrong or something wrong, I'm using air quotes here. Now I have this kind of level of hesitation and a level of anxiety that that has been present since getting pregnant. Like, can I trust this? Can I trust my body? Is this okay? Is something going to be wrong? Is And I'm just like processing all of these different things. Like, could this be a challenge? Could And so I want to meet, I want to also meet myself in that. And if the thought of having it at home, being 40 minutes away from the hospital that I would want to go to, even if we, if we stay in the house that we're in granted, you know, our lease is up at that time and we actually want to move into a house that we own. So like, there's some pressure there. And so it's like kind of just trying to meet myself in a lot of categories where I actually am at and knowing that I'm in a crunchy city. I'm in like a really crunchy city. So like the birthing center here 
is like teaming. It is popping. There are midwives. You throw a rock and you hit a midwife in Austin. Like there are doulas galore. There's, you know, and they have a super low transfer rate and there's seven minutes from the best hospital that I would want to, to get transferred to if that were the case. And so, you know, those were things that factored into my decision and my favorite response. And I'm realizing this ahead of time. And my favorite response to this and what I will practice moving forward is, you know, when people say to me that they like something to the effect of only, you know, what's right and good and true for you. Like only, you know, what's right for you. Only, you know, what's right for your baby. Only you, you make the decision that is best for you. And while I absolutely, I agree with that because I've done the research. Like I watched the documentaries, I've read the medical research and the blogs and the different things that people have written. I've listened to the books, seen the maze, got to childbirth. Like I've, I've done, I've done the due diligence and I definitely want to have the like miraculous home birth experience at some point in the future. And I'm going to meet myself where I'm at for this one. Um, and so I do feel like, yeah, I'm making the right decision for myself. And I know that there's so many women that just simply are not doing that due diligence. They're operating under the understanding that hospital is the only safe way to go. And so for those that are like maybe unfamiliar where I'm going, like uh, it's kind of sort of like in the middle between home birth and hospital birth where I'm going, there's no access to epidurals. There's no access to Pitocin. There's no access to continuous fetal monitoring. There's no, like, there's no, a lot of the things that people have, I can wear what I want. I can eat what I want. I can do pretty much anything that I would have done at home, but I'm doing at the birthing center, granted, they have, you know, some things that they have to check their boxes because they are under the auspices of a governing body, a hospital governing body, basically. So they do have like some things, but they're also super familiar, delayed cord clamping. There's a lady there that will come and pick up my placenta and encapsulate it if I want it. They, you know, they have the long list of all the things that I could want. And so I'm going there and I feel confident and I feel informed. But then the vast majority that I see, you know, especially growing up in small town, Louisiana, the vast majority of my people that I grew up with are just showing up for their induction dates. You know, they're just showing up for their scheduled either C-section, scheduled induction. And that's just the way that it goes. And they don't know anything different. And this idea of pain, they're like, why would I? Why would I put myself through that? Well, because they don't understand all of the benefit and all of the reason why they would choose to go through the pain and go through this whole process. And so, and I think I might've started with a question and told a story and now I'm going to, I might be about to, I might be about to tell you a different question. (laughs) Welcome to the show. Um, (laughs) So, you know, I, no, I think this is maybe the same question for the people that are just really unsure. You know, I gave, I gave my story in order to paint a picture and to like educate a little bit here. But why someone would choose not to go the more, and it's funny to say like the traditional route, because it's not traditional. Traditional is not the hospital. (laughs) No, hospital births didn't even come in until like the 1800s. Exactly. So paint us that picture, Lauren. Like tell us, you know, in your own words, 
how this came to be. Now, I know that this is a really big subject and conversation. And so just like your cliff notes, like if someone were to come to you and you were like, oh, you're an ecstatic birth worker and you help people have pleasurable births at home or wherever they choose to birth that, you know, if you were to like kind of go in a little bit deeper about the journey and how we got to where we are now and really what some women I don't, I don't want to phrase it as that they're missing out on, but they have an opportunity, Yes, you know, because they have an opportunity and some women are just at a high risk and it's not possible for them to have these things. So it's not, you're less of a mother and this was less of a valid birth experience and blah, 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 all that bullshit. That's none of that's acceptable here. So just assume none of that's right. You know, so we're not talking about that, but what is an opportunity for those that just simply don't know? Yeah. Yeah. I I love this. I know it's sometimes when you're like so immersed in the world, you just like assume that like the average Joe person like knows these things. And I'm like, oh, it's not, not, my information isn't that special. Like everyone I do that all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So the word that's sticking out to me the most as you were speaking is this, this word safety and really like, what does that mean? And, you know, as we said, the the traditional medicalization of birth didn't come in until like the 18th century, really. And it really was a way of control. It was, you know, I'm going to touch on, you know, the patriarchy and misogyny and how men saw this as an opportunity to dom over. And there is a lot of like weird dom sub things that happen in the hospital. It's like the system is a really irresponsible dom. And we're like looking to them to be our savior, to be like, okay, what do I do? Like you said, I don't have the questions. I don't know. We're told our whole lives that we don't know, especially as women. It's like, oh, you don't know that. You don't have access to your power. It's like as when we came into the world, zero to seven years old, that's when we were most alive, most in our connection to our wisdom. And it was shut down. We were told that, you know, it's not okay to speak up for ourselves. It's not okay to, to be the light, the fire that we are. So it's really finding what this sense of safety, we've been so programmed, like think back to when you were younger, like your first imprints of what birth was, you know, chances are fear, pain, it's usually, you know, in the media, it's usually a woman screaming on her back, helpless, the husband's running around the house, like a chicken without his head, trying to get the bag together, like, oh my God, oh my God, what can we do? And when we're indoctrinated with that and we're given that over and over and over again, of course, we're going to have that imprint that like we need the hospital to be safe. We need these doctors outside of us to tell us what to do. And so when in reality, you look at the stats and the actual statistics of it, the hospital is not a safer place to be. Like it's kind of wild how we, we create this thing. We're like, oh, the hospital must be safe because that's how we always do it. And 98% of births are in the hospital and our maternal mortality rate has gone up. Like we're one of the the most progressive countries and we still have like really bad stats when it comes to thriving in that way. I really love the idea of, okay, where, where do you feel most safe? Where does your body feel most safe? Because the necessary surrender that needs to happen during birth. If we, throughout birth, you're going to go through basically a a shift in consciousness. There's an altered state of consciousness that happens, which is our body's beautiful design. It was meant to happen that way. 
in the beginning, like right now we're in beta, right? Our, our waves are pretty chaotic. We're having a conversation. This is our thinking mind, our logical mind. If we want to transition into a place where even an ecstatic or even empowering birth is experienced, we have to get to theta. And theta is a really deep, meditative, sort of feeling like you've gone somewhere to collect your baby. You're kind of not an outer body experience, but it's sort of a omnipresent empowering. You come back and you're like, wow, where did I just go? What just happened? Time sort of disillusioned. Like it's it's a really powerful place to be in. And theta in and of itself is healing. So like you said, birth is this opportunity. It's an opportunity for women to fully surrender so they can get to that place to heal. Birth can be used as a healing mechanism to, to heal past traumas, maybe sexual violations, like generational shit. Like this is really profound and a beautiful opportunity to reclaim that and meet that part. And so when your body is feeling safe, you'll be able to move through beta into alpha, into theta. And if you're in a place where you have to be hypervigilant, you know, there's strangers kind of coming in out of the room. You don't have a birth team that's going to really protect you and know what you want, know your yeses and your noes. There's going to be a part of you that's like, oh, I need to be in control. I need, I need to know what's happening. We can't be in control during mm-hmm. birth. It's the full fuck surrender, like full on. I am like the, the, you're going to be a sub to this, this amazing energy. And not only I'm sure Jordan's going to be a beautiful partner and pillar and a beautiful man of holding that tone of trust and love for you, but it's bigger than both of you. Mm -hmm. And it really is this opportunity to just surrender into it. And when we're in a place of safety and surrender, we can allow for pleasure. We can't be stressed and in fear and be hypervigilant and talking and in our logical mind and really have this full sensuous embodied experience. Pleasure is the ultimate birthing tool, right? Because it not only allows us to get into that theta state and this meditative sort of rhythmic motion, but it also allows physiologically our bodies to engorge, our pussies to engorge. The clitoris has eight to 10,000 nerve endings right there for a reason. It's not just for pleasure. It's for engorgement. It's for lubrication. It's for our abilities for our tissues to stretch and expand. So it's really in this ability to just lean into this energy that's going to be moving through you, probably the most intense energy you're ever going to experience in your entire life. And it's almost like I'm seeing a socket being plugged in, like a cord being plugged into a socket and making sure that voltage is able to handle this full experience. And you're going to hit a point, you're going to hit many points where you're like, fuck this, I can't do this. And it's in that threshold, it's in needing that part of being like, I can't, and then you do it. That's when you hit all the good endorphins, the norepinephrine, the PEA, the beta endorphins, all these things that your body naturally wants to do to help you through this experience. You push through that veil, just like in a psychedelic experience, Mm -hmm. you get into that ego wall, that ego death, you push through, you get to the other side and you're like, wow. That's my power. That's my primal wisdom. And that, that in and of itself is what is going to set you up for success, quote unquote, success in motherhood, mm-hmm. in the way of, of bonding with your baby, all the natural cascades of, you know, hormones and oxytocin and all these things that really aid you in that, in that process. So the sense of safety is the foundation. So I really love even the way you were describing the birth center. Like I noticed in your body, like there was a sense of aliveness. I felt mm-hmm. it within me. It was like a fuck yes. Like I'm mm-hmm. really... This is this is a full for me. And I'm I can see myself surrendering. I I know 
logically that like, you know, Jordan and I can, can play and we can get the oxytocin going. And I have privacy if I want, like there's no rules. There's no like the coldness of a hospital, which can also sometimes, you know, not put us in that way. So I, I'm a big fan of birthing centers. I think it's really beautiful, especially in Austin. I'm sure they're mm-hmm. like top tier, but yeah, it's, it's where did you conceive? How did you conceive bringing that energy into the birthing room, you know, low lights, twinkle lights, make it romantic, make yeah. it sensual shifting from beta to alpha takes us to get into our sensual body. So we can't mm-hmm. think our way through birth. Our body needs to do it. We right. have to allow that to happen. Right. It's a beautiful explanation. And when it comes to the hospital, the thing that that you were mentioning is that for some people it registers like logically it makes sense. I'm safe, right? Because there's all this life-saving equipment that's here. But a lot of times that quote unquote life-saving equipment or the equipment that's helping you to monitor everything is the thing that winds up tipping you over into intervention. And then you wind up with that C-section that you were so adamant about not having, you know, and that whole, you said a cascade of beautiful hormones. And I, you know, that's one cascade of events. And then the other one, you know, in a hospital is the cascade of interventions, you know, and it starts with coming into the hospital and then taking your clothes, you know, they don't take your clothes, but giving you this gown that's open in the back that, or open in the front that feels very vulnerable. And like telling you that you can't eat just in case, get this port for this IV just in case let's do continual fetal monitoring because wouldn't you want to know if your baby's heart rate changes and then we have an emergency and then we have to, you don't want to be because you chose not to continuously, you know, do the heart rate monitor. You don't want to be the reason why you're, you know, your baby winds up going into distress and then you can't get them out in time. And it's just, they put all this fear and, you know, and some hospital situations are actually really lovely, you know, and, and they don't feel like a lot of pressure, but I've also heard many stories people's stories about, you know, okay, then they finally get the baby out and then the baby's out and they're pressuring for the eye ointment and the vitamin K shots and the hepatitis B. And so you're just constantly on guard, trying to protect yourself, trying to protect your baby, trying to advocate for yourself. Even if you've got a husband, that's like, I know the birth plan backwards and forwards. There's still you know, room for potential human mistake or error or whatever. And even if you have a doula that's with you the entire time, that's really skilled and understands, you know, your birth plan and what you want. And they're trying to advocate. But then I've heard instances where the nurse or the doctor then comes in and is like, are you sure you want to do this thing? Cause it might kill your kid. And you're just like, yeah. obviously not. I don't want to kill my kid, but I also don't want to give them something. And they're little, tiny, precious, innocent, body that is divinely made that has one thing that needs to go in it one single thing that needs to that actually needs to go inside of it and it's breast milk and it's <laughs> nothing else it's not your stupid fucking shots it's not your ointments don't even give it a bath like leave yeah. leave the baby alone for the hats everything unless there's actual distress, though there are times where the distress is so momentary, like it's so temporary that, oh, we got a little, we have a little trouble breathing. Wait five minutes, wait 10 minutes. They just, they just started breathing. It's new. Maybe they just got to get the hang of it. You know, we don't have to slap them. The first thing they do, they come out and shake it, slap it 
try to make it cry, it's coming, you know? And I don't, I I say that and like, that's, that's typical, right? That's what's typically going to happen. But there are instances where baby really does need help. And thank goodness that NICU is even there. And so, you know, but usually by the time we've got an issue and the APGAR score is whatever the APGAR score is, and it's like, and that's the score to determine, you know, if baby's doing well or if they need the NICU, if they need help or whatever. And, and you might have better words for that, but I'm like, they, they do the score and then they're like, what do we need to do here? Is baby good or what? Usually, you know, by the time we get to that place, like you have enough time that if that, if we were showing, if the baby was showing either distress or something, we need a little extra assistance. There's enough time to get to the hospital if you want to, to transfer to the hospital. And so I think people have this idea that it all happens so fast Yes, that it all has, and that we have to push it to happen fast. Like someone, someone breaks their water. Oh, we got to get this baby out right now. You know what I mean? And like, there's this rush, 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 like, oh, we need to make this decision now. Like every decision is a life death decision that needs to be made in the next 15 seconds to a minute max. And all that pressure, there's just so much pressure. So you've got a woman who's contracting and expanding and is having her process and she's, you know, in pain and, or just let's not say pain. She's in her physical sensation. She's in her sensation and she's being asked a million questions, right? Taking her out of her, out of her sensation and bringing her into, I need to decide something because this is my body and this is my baby. And then there's a partner in there. That's like, what do you want to do, babe? And it's like, that's a decision too. And so, you know, I can just, I can see all the ways that it's no wonder in the US, we have like a 30 something percent C-section rate. Yeah, which is 35%. Absurd. It's, it's 50% in other parts of the world. Right, right. I think it's what's Brazil or somewhere? Yeah, Brazil. Or so, Even somewhere in, in Miami. I think Miami is like 50%. It's insane. Which when is the WHO crazy. only says 10%, 10% right. of births which should be surgically so removed. Crazy. And also, like I always like the caveat, like, and also, are we so like a grateful that we even have this technology that we can do that. But the vast majority though, 20% potentially don't need to go there. Like there's no reason that that baby needed to miss being birthed through the vagina with all of its flora and great bacteria and, you know, and just going through the portal of life versus having someone play God and reach in and pull them out, you know? So it's like, Thank goodness it's there when it's actually absolutely necessary. And so many are even at times opting for it, yeah. you know, when they don't, when there is no medical necessity. So, you know, this conversation, like, you know, maybe, cause like you were saying, like, you forget that some people just don't know some of these things. It's like, I get onto a show and someone's like, well, how can someone spice things up? And I'm like, what? You know, I'm like, oh, we're still here. Oh, damn. Okay. Rewind. Or they're like, how can someone have an orgasm? And I'm like, oh, fuck. Okay, hang on. Let me dive into the archives, you know, because I'm so used to helping people do, you know, different things, like stuff that's further down the road, you know? And I'm like, I forget that there's still so many people that are just operating with like certain constriction and beliefs around their pleasure and around their sexuality and around orgasm or around communication and connection and all of that. And so for sure it's happening here. Like the more that I understand what I understand in the whole birth world. And, and like, like I said, Austin's very crunchy. So I say home birth, or I say a non-hospital birth and my nurse practitioner sister does the same thing. 
that the other nurse did when you, and she just is walking from the dining room to the kitchen and she just like slowly turns her head and is like, what, you know? And then she's like, well, and then the kind of the next thing that everybody asks is like, well, what, what are you going to do if there's an emergency? You know what? We're all going to yeah. die. That's yeah. it. You know what? I'm so irresponsible that we all die that, you know what? I hadn't thought about it. Thank you for yeah. telling me that an emergency could happen. You know, like it's so weird yeah. and I let them have their process. It's so unique. You know what I'm choosing to do with my life compared to what they've all chosen to do with their life. And, right. and it's my work not to think that what I'm doing is better than is higher than, or that I'm going to be so much better of a mom because I choose these other things, you know, and it's, yeah. it's wild. And you know, that there's even my nurse practitioner sister, who's been an NP in oncology since goodness, she's in her mid forties now, her late forties now. And she's been that since she graduated college at 22, 21, 22, wow. so she's been over 20 years in nursing. And like, she's uneducated in this regard. Yeah. You know, and that, and that's okay. You know, like yeah. in the family there, they're uneducated in this regard and I can choose to educate them. I can choose to talk about it, but I don't have to defend myself. That's it. Yeah. Are you someone who loves to talk about, learn about and explore the world of sex? Perhaps you're even that friend who everyone comes to for intimate advice and guidance. If this sounds like you, I have a question for you. Have you ever considered becoming a sex coach? More than a college degree, you need drive, desire, and a deep passion for truly helping others. As you may know, not only am I a sex, love, dating, and relationship coach, but I also teach other coaches this niche craft. The Sex and Love Coach team and I have now taught over 100 coaches how to do this work and how to run successful coaching businesses. Sex and Love University is a year-long journey starting September 5th, 2023, and it includes three trimesters focusing on sex education and personal development, coaching skills and tools, and business, sales, marketing, branding, etc. Over the course of a year, you will get to step into your own personal development work on a deeper level, build community with like-minded women, develop your skills as a coach, discover your own niche and how to monetize it while building the confidence to make this your thriving new career. If you've ever thought about it, dreamed about it, or wondered if this is even possible, go ahead and take a closer look at the show notes and find out more about Sex and Love University today. So I talked for a little while. We keep training. You're talking and then I'm talking. And so- No, I love it. Yeah, yeah. So kind of like leading that into, I'm very curious about what you've actually seen that's possible. Yeah. yeah. And what it looks yeah. like. Mm. So I haven't attended any home births. So that's the interesting piece is I'm not a doula. Like I don't attend the actual births. Maybe down the line, I might get my doula cert. I miss the birth portal. I miss the birth space. It's definitely something hella magical. I've had glimpses of it in the hospital. Um, I remember this one experience. I was working at a hospital in Boston and there was this woman, you know, typical came in, had the birth plan. Of course, all the nurses rolled their eyes and I was like, oh, pick me. Like everyone always was like, oh, Lauren, give, give that patient to Lauren because she'll stimulate her nipples. Like it was like, I'm that kind of, <laughs> that kind of nurse. And so I'm with this woman and she was so in her power and she was a little older. I think she was like 36, 37. And I remember witnessing the, the gray hairs in her hair. And I was just like, wow, like this woman 
is so intimately trusting of her body and her natural process, like, and had this ability to, to get into this fierce protector of herself while also being so like graceful and beautiful. And she had access to her conscious anger that I had not seen before. And it really was like, wow, like this lady is not playing around. And it was almost like you walked into the room and you felt the shift. Like it was like, it was really a psychedelic experience, just like being in it and witnessing it. No one had to coach her on how to move or, you know, if, if she was feeling pain, she'd shift. Like she just was so intuitive in her own process sounding like you wouldn't believe just like so in rapture with whatever was happening. And it's interesting when you witness it from the outside, someone who's not privy to what's happening in her internal experience, you might look at that and be like, oh, she's in a lot of pain or she's being tortured, or you have all these stories of these projections onto this person. But I had the the beautiful opportunity of sort of, sort of being with her during the golden hour after she had the baby. And it was just like me and her and I, it was night shift. So it was a bit more quiet in the hospital. And I had some time to sit with her and I was just like, I just need to tell you how beautiful that experience was for me. Like, thank you so much for allowing me to see a really beautiful, empowering birth experience in the hospital because it is so far and few between. And she was just like crying and just saying like, thank you so much. And she was like, yeah, I was experiencing these, these moments of bliss. She's like, and I, I wouldn't call them pleasure. And this was before I went down the ecstatic birth route. So my mind was still sort of in the, the medical model. And I'm like, interesting. Like she's saying she's having moments of bliss and, ex- and uh, ecstasy. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like she was a little on the crunchy side, but like, I was like, this woman's got something. You could feel truth. Like it resonates, you know? And she was just like, I felt these moments of just full on like rapture. And she, she didn't use the word overwhelm, but it like kind of alluded that it was like this, this experience that was bigger than me. It was like, I wasn't the one delivering my baby. It was, it was a different energy that was moving through me. And she's like, and I fully leaned and trusted that. And that is what helped me bring, you know, my baby Earthside. And she was just glowing and just like, it was the most the most beautiful birth that I had ever attended in the hospital. And it was really what I, the main pillars was her sense of being able to connect to her conscious anger, to really like be in her process. Um, and just this, this energy, this energy of like, when you come in this room, you come correct, you bring the right energy or you're not allowed. Like when you're in that birthing experience, you're like your ability, your radar to tap into what's happening around you goes through the fucking roof. It's like being on mushrooms. Like you, you literally can know what people are thinking and feeling when they come into your space. So really having your birth team or your partner be really cutthroat about who they're letting in, mm-hmm. what kind of energy they're holding. I would always feel so bad, you know, at the end of my shift, my mom's at like eight, nine centimeters. She's almost ready to have a baby. I labored with her through the whole process. And now it's time for me to go home and I have to give report to a new nurse and she's coming on shift, like a little frantic anxiety energy. And I'm just like, fuck, like I worked so hard to hold the tone and like be this for my patient. And now I got to hand you over to some nurse who's like thinking about, you know, her kids or whatever. Like it's, it's mm-hmm. so important to have your birth team hold the tone of, mm-hmm. of that experience. Cause we're so tapped mm-hmm. in. We're such, we're such connected beings. Totally. And I haven't asked my mom yet, um, but we're toying with it. My mom is just a sweetheart and is so helpful and so lovely. She's just my favorite mom now that she's 
in her sixties and she's been a grandmother for a long time. Like my nieces are 18 and 23. And so she's, she's just been, she's got her wise woman, you know, coming online. And, and so I'm thinking that I want her to be there. And I'm also a little bit hesitant because I don't know how she'll be in the Mm. presence of me in my process, because for me, I'm just like, oh yeah, I'll just let my body do whatever it wants to do. Like I'm, I feel relatively confident just in my work in somatics and understanding embodiment and emotion and all of that. Like I feel pretty confident though. I can't say for sure. Cause I haven't done it yet that I'm just going to like let it all just do all the things, <laughs> you know, yes. like let my body go where it wants to go, put it into position that it wants to be put into ask for what I need, but also like stay very internal and like, who knows, <laughs> who knows how that's going to shake out. But, you know, with regards to mom, like I want, I definitely want her to be able to be there and to just hold space and to be witness. Yes. And cause I, I do have a, a childhood friend that just birthed and, um, and I think she wound up having to have her mom leave because her mom was just worrying. She was trying, yeah. she was saying she was okay, but her energy was yes. worry and scared and she was having a hard time processing it. And so then it was just like, you have to go. Yes. But I think my mom will be able to, and I think that that probably broke her heart a little bit. You know, I was actually mm. like behind the scenes texting mom and I was like trying to coach her to the, to the friend. And I'm like, and you just clear in and take big breaths, send her this love and this energy yeah. from the waiting room and like trying to try to coach her to kind of calm down. And she was just like, I'm so nervous. And like, that's, probably why you're not inside there right now, you know, because it can be, it can be felt. I can just imagine like a mama bear that's like getting ready to birth. And he's like, you out, out. I never want to see your fucking face again. (laughs) How (laughs) dare you? You know? Um, but I think, I think my mom might be able to just like bring that, uh, mother, grandmother kind of peaceful energy Mm. and we'll see. So, and I know she doesn't listen to she probably hasn't listened to an episode in a really long time. She's been on the show and I love her and she probably doesn't listen. Like podcasts aren't her thing. Um, so I can talk about it here knowing that she will not listen to this and spoil it before we do get to ask her or if we choose not to ask her, but I think she'd be fine either way. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm questioning like who do I want? Do I want traditional, like traditional doula? Do I want, do I just want like a, a friend who's already given birth a couple times that just... Mm-hmm. That, that do I just want a friend that I trust so deeply to be present who yeah. who already knows you know what it's like and has birthed in hospital unmedicated only because her baby was a week early and so she didn't make the the cutoff and baby also needed like a week of NICU because he was a preemie but has also then done the the home birth after and made it all the way to be able to do home birth and so like do I want that or do I want like a trained doula or do I like I think we're going to opt for no photography, you know, like I'm asking all those, you know, myself, all those questions so that I can create that safe space for myself. And so this is more on the personal front though. I'm sure that there's lots of people that have this question too. So, okay. So we're due in December. I got some time. I'm four months now. So, but I've got another, you know, handful of months to go. What are things like if someone comes to you, say I come to you and I'm like, I want to have an ecstatic birth. How do I do it? How do I do it? Yeah. You know, like without me coming to you and like having sessions with you and all these things, like what's the general, you know, kind of answer to that, that question? Like, is there a specific like set of things to do? Is it more 
emotions or like a mental space or I'll just let you, I'll stop trying to fill in the blank. Yeah. I mean, pieces of all of that. Birth is very individual. You know, each, each woman's experience based on how she grew up, her, her past traumas, like I said, her past experiences, the way she views birth, her, her connection with spirit or lack thereof. Like there's so many things that go into that, how she feels about her menstrual cycle, how she feels about her body, how she feels about being a woman and being a female bodied being in this lifetime. Like there's a lot of subconscious, you'll, you'd be surprised how many women honestly hate that they're women subconsciously. And so it's really this, this way of using this birth opportunity as like the most intense shadow work you're ever going to do. Like really being open and willing to look at all the pain points of your life, all the shadow, all the gremlin, all the sticky, crunchy parts of yourself that maybe you haven't allowed space for as of yet and really befriending and loving those pieces and welcoming it almost. So there's that layer. And then there's also the body layer, right? It's like getting in tune with our bodies. Like, can you have really beautiful opening cervical orgasms? Like go in and experiment with your partner or with a, with a wand and really learn what does your pussy feel like? Like put your hands on your vulva, put your hands inside of yourself and feel the tissues, really build that relationship, that connection with yourself. We've been so severed from the waist down. It's like, we don't want to think about that. We don't, we don't want to deal with what's down there. It's like, get connected, bring that connection deeper using different movement modalities. So moving, breathing, sounding, like I said, like our primal way of experiencing, like, how do you have a really good orgasm? You move your body in a rhythmic way. You open yourself to sound your breathing sort of intensifies, like letting yourself be in the surrender of it. That's exactly how an ecstatic birth happens. And I, I, I want to be clear on what ecstatic means because I feel like so many people get a misconception of, oh, that means I don't have to feel any pain. That means I'm in bliss state the whole time. And like, yes, that is a possibility. Don't, you know, delete that possibility from your experience, but also recognize that ecstasy comes from the Greek word ecstasis, which means to literally be outside of our experience. So it's a different experience. It's being with the full spectrum, like I said, of emotions, of feelings, the full gradient of what it means to be human. And the less we resist that, the less we resist the fear that shows up or the pain or whatever, and you can lean into it, the easier it will be, it will sort of dissipate and you'll be able mm -hmm. to melt into it. I mean, think of when you are penetrated too early and you're not in a state of arousal. Your body is in a state of openness. It's going to hurt. It's going to be uncomfortable. But if you're really fully aroused and you're ready and you're willing and you're open, that penetration is going to feel really good. So it's really just like getting to know your body, what she likes, like even thinking about bringing in, you know, using a vibrator during labor. And like I had a patient one time that used a vibrator during labor and her husband was stimulating her nipples and it was really awesome. I mean, this was before I was sort of welcomed into the world of, of the ecstatic birth, but I knew there was something there. I was like, wow, the fact that she's so connected to her pleasure and she knows what she likes and she's using it as a tool. Like I was like, that's empowerment. That's, that's the juice right there. Mm -hmm. So 
It could be something as like simple as hand on clit. Like when you're getting in contraction, like we have a pleasure button right there for a reason, use it. You know, it's like, and, and in creating the birth team, it's really about, okay, who do I feel comfortable with having this embodied experience of arousal and pleasure move through my body while being witnessed by these people? Like you really need to be comfortable with being witnessed in that process. And like you said to do, do I choose a doula? Do I choose a, a friend? What was coming through for me was like, choose someone that sees your sovereignty, that sees your power, that can like, yeah, she's going through the pain and emotions, but I see behind that. Like I see the powerful birthing woman mother that you are. And like, yes, you can do this. Like it's it's that sort of energy that you want to bring into the space, not the, you know, the anxiety and the fear, mm-hmm. but Yeah. Those are just some of the tidbits, but it's so big. There's so many yeah. different ways and it's individual. So you're telling me it's not something that I learned the week of birth. No. <laughs> Ideally, it's your whole life. You're telling me that this is a lifelong journey and process. Got it. Yeah. Well, I can say I feel pretty confident that I've been on the path for a while. And so going looking at this through the lens of how this can support me in the birthing process. And then, you know, something that gets kind of overlooked and dismissed in ways is the fourth trimester, which is after birth. And then all of a sudden you've, you, you are born anew as well as have a baby now, you know, like who you were and who you are. It's like this liminal space of a transitory space. Um, as far as your identity goes. And it's like, what, who am I now? And it's, it's a lot, it's a lot. And so, um, and I think so many people are like, well, they focus on the family that they want. They focus on the little one coming into their lives and being in their arms and the family that they're going to have and them going to school and then teaching them things and playing sports and going dance class. And they envision what the family looks like and sometimes don't necessarily envision the process that they are going to have to go through on an individual level in order to bring this family into fruition and into existence. And it's hard. And that's why we we hear so many women now, I mean, at least we're experiencing it now or hearing it more now. They're speaking up now that uh, this transition is really hard for a lot of people if they don't have support or resources. Yes. You know, and I, and I think, like I said, they just focus on the family part and don't, and are completely like shell-shocked in a sense that Mm. life is really challenging and hard. You know, they think, oh, my partner and I just need to have better communication. And you need to be able to hold yourself. You need to be able to hear yourself and feel your feelings and feel the breadth of your emotions. And, you know, and I think so many women then turn to things like antidepressants and anti-anxiety and wind up with this postpartum depression situation. And I think straight up, I think a lot of it can be avoided, you know, so much of it can be avoided and they they don't know because they don't, they don't know it's coming, you know, but I think we're talking about it more, but then still, what do you do? You know, we're talking about it from the perspective of like, it's okay. If you have, if you don't immediately bond with your baby, it's okay. If you feel bad, cool. And then what, (laughs) what do you, what do you do about it? 
you yeah. know, here's this prescription pill that's going to affect your hormones and affect your emotions numb and affect you all out. your things and numb you out. And, you know, and then you lose connection, become dependent on it, potentially um, lose connection with your body, lose connection with your sexuality, your libido, your drive and all those things. And I mean, I get asked at least a couple of times a month, what is my advice for people who are experiencing low libido due to being on antidepressants or anti-anxiety medication? And it's really hard really, it's really a hard thing to respond to. Um, you know, I'm like, here's your tools and here's how you can try to come back into your body and schedule the sex and schedule the intimacy and work on these things. And, you know, it sounds irresponsible for me to say, for to want to say, I need, you need to get off these things. You need to get off these yeah. pills because then, you know, the response is, oh, but people need their drugs and they need their pharmaceuticals and they, they need their, you know, their medication. I'm like, this isn't healing you. This is not yeah. medicine. This is not nope. medicine. You got this twisted, you yep. know? And I do know that there's people that have tried so many things and are still coming up short and they actually really do need the, the medication in order for this season that they're in in life and the cycle that they're in in life. And I have seen it really help some people and there's more. There's so much more to that to that conversation too. And I wish that more people had, and it's not even that they have access because you and I are online. So people have access to us, you know? So it's not a matter of if this person has access to help or has access to care or whatever, or like access to knowing that there's more out there and available to them and all those things. Cause this podcast is fucking free. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like so much of the content that I put out, I imagine you do in some ways too, is it is free and it is in yes. service and I have to make a living because I've chosen to make my livelihood in this subject matter. And the vast majority of, of the work that I do is actually free content for people to be able to gain resources and broaden their horizons is just so much bigger and so much broader Yeah. than, okay, well, here's your technique for the yeah. moment of birth. When yes. you start labor, do this breathing, put this music on, do these mantras and you'll be good. Like it's this whole process backwards and forwards, healing and learning yourself and, and accepting yourself and working with yourself and not self-abandoning and learning self-trust and, you know, learning how to advocate and actually really be, you know, your number one in a sense. Yeah. And then of course, there's another level on how to enroll other people to be able to support you in doing you know, support you in that process as well. So yeah. duly noted. Fourth trimester, we need some serious renovations in, in that yeah. in that regard. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Post postpartum thing. doulas are a really beautiful tool to use. Yeah. So maybe I don't do birth doula, but maybe I do postpartum doula. Yeah. You know, that like helps to usher in the new life of the mother and yes. integrate with new life with baby. And, and then you got someone who just became a dad. Right. <laughs> and he's like, what do I do with my hands? Yeah. I don't have the boobs. So what can I do? You know? And it's, I think it, it's tougher and, and it's filled with, it's everything. Like it's filled with yeah. beauty and a lot of struggle and challenge, which I think is why so many people say having kids is the greatest thing that they've ever done. Yes. Because it's because for so many people, it feels so purposeful. I can't, there's not that many things in today's day and age that really are a rite of passage yes, and provide a true initiatory experience. And birth and parenthood is definitely, you know, fixated um, or fixed on that list. 
Yes. The rite of passage, huge. We must walk through the fire to realize the real power that we have within ourselves. And it's so devoid of that in this culture. And yeah, Totally. totally. Well, Lauren, I can continue having this conversation forever and ever and ever um, because it is <laughs> very interesting to me and of course, very relevant to me and, you know, and we're over an hour. I can't even see the timer. It's like underneath this, uh, this part of my desk. Oh, wow, I can't even are. see it. Yeah. So this was great. I, I found the conversation very nourishing. And my hope is that, you know, our audience, when they listen, my hope is that this was able to open some people up to ideas and concepts that they might not have been curious about or open to before. Maybe they just like hadn't heard it. And so yeah. here's a new way. Um, what I, I want to say again is that this conversation was not intended in any way, shape or form to leave any person who's hearing it was not intended for you to feel bad about your decisions. And also if let's say you had a hospital birth and your life's just like not like you don't live your life quite the same as I do, or maybe Lauren does or any of the crunchy people in Austin and you opted for induction and you had, you went in and it was peaceful and you had your epidural and you hung out and you shot the shit with the nurses and they checked on you and husband did whatever he was doing. And next thing you know, you're pushing and you have a baby and it was beautiful. Then I just want to say, fuck. Yeah. You're amazing. Your body did an incredible thing and you used some support in that process. And, and I just, I didn't explicitly say that towards the beginning as well, when we were originally kind of like breaking things down. I just want to say that's totally valid. And I, and I've considered it too, because the majority of my friends from back at home did it just like that. And of course I've considered that as well. And I've, I've weighed a lot of different options and you know, every birth's different. Every mother's different. Every child coming into the world is different. And so no matter what you will choose in the future or what you have chosen in the past, I just want to say like, this is one hell of a fucking journey. And the thing that you need to hear more than anything is celebration and is the cheering on is the you're doing it you're doing the best that you can with the resources that you have keep fucking going girl yes and um more than anything and so um even though we spoke you know on our personal preferences and 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 I certainly spoke my personal story and preferences let that not discourage or leave you feeling any kinds of way cuz I'm I'm on your team I'm your cheerleader um 100%. and I know that we're all doing the best that that we can and so just like a little moment for the solidarity yes. at the end there. Totally. So important. Yeah. Well, Lauren, I'm curious for our listeners, you know, if they want to get to know you more, because I know it's not all about ecstatic birth. You were saying, um, you know, the before conception period and and even postpartum, which is anytime after you give birth, you know, that could be many years after birth too. You know, I know that you're doing this, this deep, um, sensual, sexual embodiment, um, emotional education, where can people find you? Yeah. So you can check out my website, embodiedecstasy.com. I'm also on Instagram at the healing hummingbird. And I just recently joined TikTok as well. So I'm trying to check, keep up with my, my Gen Zers. Um, yeah, I'm I'm very open and I love voice noting. So if you have any questions or you want to pop in, yeah, very much, even if conception is like years away from you and you're like wondering, okay, I just want to get in tune deeper with my pleasure and my body and maybe working through some emotional 
being in a state of cathexis, being able to hold my emotional state to tuning even deeper to my body with myself and with the world at large, like all those things. Yeah. So I offer one-to-one, three and six month container. I also have a retreat coming up in Taos, New Mexico in October. It's called Becoming. We're going to be doing a lot of different practices, pleasure practices, rage practices, ceremony, just really coming together as women and really activating our power. Yeah. Mm, Yummy. I love that. Y'all, I'm not (laughs) hosting any more retreats before the end of the year. So go to that. (laughs) Go to that. They they, retreats are so good. I mean, do the work long-term as well, but then every now and then go just, just go let it all let it all out at a retreat. Um, yeah. So, so, so beneficial, so I, nourishing. I also wanted to plug in too. I have sure. a, an evergreen program called Rhythms and I'm like, a, I'm a big gym rat. I really love working out and meeting that intensity in my physical body. And so I've created a program, a weight training program that's in rhythm and resonance with your menstrual cycle. So there's different oh, awesome. workouts based on what that is and some education. It's all, you know, going through it as your, as your own pace, but it's really beautiful offering rhythms. You can find that Amazing. on my website. Amazing. Lauren, thank you so much for the work that you do and taking time out of your day in order to come share some of your wisdom and knowledge with our audience. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. This was fun. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. If you loved it, be sure to subscribe so you never miss a new episode. And if you extra, extra loved it, make sure to leave a five-star review. I'll see y'all next week.